All right, good morning. I, uh, I, I have to confess, it's a, little, it's a little humbling, maybe even, even awkward for me to, uh, to be the center of, an, of attention in the middle of a worship service. But I want you to know a couple things first. Before I get into, uh, into the, the sermon proper, I'll say sermon proper. Um, man, I, I believe in the church. And uh, I, I've, Emily and I came in not expecting to be leaving in this way. Uh, I think I think our first thought was we may never leave, and the second thought uh, was if we ever leave, it'll probably be under under circumstances like I got an, I got an awesome job in music, or Emily is a is a, you know being requested by some foreign university to instruct their uh, their their would be educators in how to train the next generation in lower grades. You know, I, we didn't expect to be, um, be pursuing vocational ministry, but what happened in the process, voices like Jeff Bianchi's uh, and, and his wife Sarah and um, many of the folks in this room, but the Richmonds over at the River Church said, we believe in, in, in God's power through the local church. We believe tremendously in, uh, in the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus and, uh, and how it, it works out in a loving community. And when they said that, it, we listened because we were experiencing, the, as they saw, as they spoke, we, we, could, uh, we could look around and see, wow, we're changing. Um, these people we're in small group with are, are being affected profoundly. A lot of the, the patterns that, that I grew up um, in, in the church, were not patterns here in this place. And, uh, and I, that's not an indictment so much on, on the churches that, that we grew up in, but just a, a, a privilege to be here. It's such a privilege. And if, you, if you're maybe just deciding, um, hey, I don't know what I think about this. I don't know what I think about church. I don't know what I think about this church. I don't know what I think about the gym and the style of music and the, the people from the front. You know, there's a lot to process, but I want to I encourage you, um, seek God. Ask God to, to, to center you on what is, is most important. And, uh, and I believe... Um, there's a really high likelihood that God would show you that uh, you'll look around and you'll say, okay, I get it. Um, I believe in the church. I believe in what's going on, not just here, but in the global uh, historical body of, of the Lord Jesus. And I count it a tremendous privilege to not be pursuing a music career and, uh, and moving into a vocational ministry to equip the, the saints of God. I believe now that... Um, that God's purposes cannot be thwarted, and he, His purposes are incredibly good, and uh, and so it's better to, to join Him than to fight Him, and uh, and so I, that's not that's not to say that those of you who aren't who aren't doing vocational ministry aren't joining the Lord. I absolutely believe that's the case, but for me, my calling is to serve and uh, equip. So, quick endorsement there. So we we're going to continue. This isn't going to be a token sermon. We're going to continue with our Battle for the Mind series that's been going on. Mo, Mo's been enjoying it. I've heard her clap every time. Mo, Mo, Mo is, a, is a journalist, but I, you wouldn't know it because you, you think she's a, a dance leader. She, she, she's at the lighthouse and, and cheering me on when I'm preaching. I love it. Thank you, Mo. I'm glad you're here. I'll give you your, your endorsement later on. Uh, I love this Battle for the Mind series for, for a few reasons, uh, not least of which I've been on a journey in the last couple of years uh, that's really primed primed the pump, so to speak, for, um, for the, the themes that we're addressing. The role of the mind. There's a, a book that I confess I've not read by a guy named Mark Knoll. 
uh, who's, uh, who's a historian and, a, and an evangelical historian. I think he's at Notre Dame. Uh, sharp, sharp dude, but he had this really famous book, and I do know the, the opening line. It's, the book's title is called The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. And, uh, and the, line, the line that opens the book says, the great scandal of the evangelical mind is that there is none. And, uh, and he goes on and gives this whole explanation of, of how in, uh, in the modern West, the church has by and large kind of, kind of abdicated our, uh, our commitment to, to thought and to, um, to thinking deeply, thinking well. And yet the Bible is not silent on, on thought. But uh, it would be, it'd be a misnomer to say that, that experiential Christianity or um, emotions are not, are not a huge part of what's going on here. But God, I love this line, um, God does not, does not care so much about saving souls as saving holes. W-H-O-L-E-S. He wants, he wants our mind, our will, our emotions, our experiences. Not just me and you, but he wants the whole created order to sing praise and worship. He wants us to join together with the saints, linking arm in arm and heaven and earth uniting. That's the prayer that the Lord Jesus has um, said. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And a kingdom is, a, is the reign of a king. And there's no place that's off limits to this king, including our minds. So I love, I love so much that we're going through this series on um, what, what does it mean to really use our, our brain, our mind, um, our, our thinker, to worship the Lord, to build up the saints, to, to uh, bring the, heaven, uh, the heavenly kingdom to earth. That's my quick endorsement there. I'll give Mo hers later on. I'll give Jeff his right there. Okay, so we're going to continue today. This is going to be pretty brief. Today we're going to continue with uh, a little talk about fear. Anyone ever been afraid? Okay, oh, we got, we got some, some major fear over here. We'll, we'll have a prayer ministry for you ladies just after. No, we all experience fear. And uh, yeah, there are, lots, there are lots of kinds of fear. And uh, I, I just want to begin with, uh, with a little example that stood out to me on a recent Thanksgiving excursion to the homeland of Georgia. I have a two-year-old. Her name is Lydia Hope. If you ask her what her name is, she'll say Lydia Hope Little. And uh, I love that about her. She's two. She's about, I don't know, two feet tall, two and a half feet tall. And, uh, and her grandparents, my parents, live in Augusta, Georgia. And they, uh, they love to procure exciting toys for Lydia for whenever she comes to visit and, and her little brother Thad. And, uh, and usually it's, it's, a, it's a win. You know, you can't, you can't go wrong pleasing a two-year-old. It's pretty easy to do. Well, um, my dad actually uh, had prepared a very special treat this time, a fine from a yard sale. I think it was $10, right? You wouldn't think it. Do, would you mind showing the picture of, uh, of this treat? <laughs> this is uh, Koto, the play school quarter-sized triceratops dinosaur. Um, robotic, it, uh, it munches, its horns move, its eyes blink, its head turns this way and this way, its tail wags, and it makes grunting noises. It's, uh, it's an incredible piece of equipment, um, and you can ride on it, you can walk up to it, feed it a leaf, and it actually burps. It's, uh, it's, it really is, it's, it's worth more than $10. And, uh, and my dad was very proud to, to have gotten this thing. 
And actually, Jeff, you'll, you'll like this. He got a small one as well. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, has, Jeff knows that my dad likes to get gifts for the family. And actually, usually he gives a miniature version of whatever the real one is. And, uh, and in this case, there was no exception. I looked it up. It's actually part of the same series. Play School makes a small one. And my dad has that one too. Same yard sale. Well, Lydia hated it. She saw, she saw this thing. And, uh, and it was, it was kind of hiding actually in, in a faux ficus tree, kind of looked like the jungle. It was kind of a Jurassic Park scene. And, uh, and, and she rounded the corner. I, I was only present for the second encounter. And, uh, and it was in, it was in a, a bedroom. The, the triceratops was, was in the corner under a ficus. And, uh, and Lydia comes in with my sister, Aunt Amy. And, uh, and walks in, and I'm already in the room, and I'm, I'm excited. I'm thinking, this, this is going to be awesome. My dad's excited. And, and Lydia, Lydia walks in kind of happily and then freezes when she sees the triceratops and then turns around and is crying hysterically. I mean, the, the, the triceratops is, is a total bust, failure. And my dad continued to bring it out through the week while we were home. And, <laughs> and then I had to rebuke him a time or two. No, stop. She's not, she does not like it. She does not like it. Put it away. <laughs> and it was hanging out in the foyer for a little bit. And, and, <laughs> and actually, Thaddy came and did the same thing. He was like, do, 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 do. froze. So, so this thing was, was total bust. And the reason, they were terrified of it. it was, they were afraid of it. This is an example of classic fear. Right? This thing is a, it's, she doesn't know it's an herbivore. Um, it's about her size. It's terrifying, right? So we all experience fears. And some of you may also be, uh, be afraid of a, a three-foot triceratops from play school. Uh, but there's, there are quite a few things that, that we are afraid of on a daily basis. And so I'd like to just think through a few of them right now. Okay, imagine yourself not necessarily as a little two-year-old uh, with a triceratops. Let's put that on the back burner now. We're moving into the real thing. Anyone afraid of the dark? Some people are afraid of the dark. Yeah, that's okay. I see a hand raised. You, you don't have to raise your hand for all these, but um, fear for safety, fear of physical harm, of sickness. I know... I know in my own life, I'm afraid, maybe not for myself to be sick, but I'm afraid that my kids would be, or my wife. Fear of financial loss or ruin, of academic or professional failure. Uh, I, I know that's, that's been a huge one just with, uh, in my interaction with students, you know, that's a very high performance environment, and you can, you can be legitimately afraid of failing, of, of dropping the ball or of an assignment. I work on a church staff. There's lots and lots of grace, but I have assignments, and if I, if I don't come through... I, I'm pretty scared, you know. There's, it may not be the kind of, uh, I'm going to die, triceratops. But it's, uh, it's a legitimate fear. Fear of death. Actually, I think it was Evan our, told me, showed me this guy. Where's Evan? I saw him here. Maybe I didn't see him here. Uh, Evan McCann was telling me this, showed me this guy who argued that, f- that fear of death is actually a, a root fear that, that so many other fears spring from. And I believe that that's probably true. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the future. I'm about to embark on a, on a move. I've never even seen Southern California. Pretty scary. Those are, those are all fears. Well, I'm going to say there are two basic kinds of fear. Okay? There's holy fear and there's unholy fear. The thumbs don't, don't necessarily mean anything. Holy fear, unholy fear. 
And the Bible talks about both and draws a pretty stark contrast between them. Now, I actually think unholy fear is an enormous motivator for so much of what we do. Probably more so than we realize. And if we were to calculate it all uh, and plot it on a graph, I think it would spike like crazy um, on the list of of things that that motivate us. Fear is probably a huge one. Fear, I I didn't even mention this, fear of relational strife, of rejection, of isolation. I'm I'm afraid I'm never going to get married. I'm afraid I'm never going to have kids. I'm afraid I'll be an outcast in society. I'm afraid that my parents won't, won't approve of this decision. I'm afraid of relational, relational um, strife and tension. These things motivate us. They motivate us all the time, right? So there are two categories in the Bible, one holy, one not so holy. And the Bible usually refers to them like this. The holy fear is usually called the fear of the Lord. Anyone heard that term? Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is considered good. That's very, very good. And uh, Mark Buckner actually was talking, talking with me about, about it this week. There you are. And he said, uh, he, he described that, that fear of the Lord is like this holy, terrific magnetism. And you use the word magnetism a few times. That's, that's, that captures a little bit of it, you know. We're not going to talk mostly about, about that holy fear today, but the unholy one. And I, I think the unholy one is actually the inverse. It's the opposite. It's, it's co-relative but in an invert kind of way. If you have the fear of the Lord, you have less and less of this unholy fear. And if you, if you have a lot of this unholy fear in your life, you have less and less of the fear of the Lord. That's what we're going to talk about for just a minute. Okay, in the Bible, uh, there are quite a few examples of this unholy fear. And God doesn't say, uh, God actually speaks directly to it. There are these fears of, of Israel, God, God has, uh, you know, there are the patriarchs in the Bible. There's Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob. There are the, the prophets, including King David, uh, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then the Lord Jesus himself. And then uh, so many of the, the people that interact with Jesus, including his parents, Mary, Joseph, um, the disciples. Jesus is addressing them. And over and over you see a phrase. Anybody know what that phrase is? From God's mouth. What's the, huh? Do not be afraid. Do not fear. I'm going to read a few of them, okay? These are all from the New International Version. (laughs) I'm not really that beholden to a translation. Okay. To Jacob in the Old Testament, Genesis, I am God, the God of your father. He said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you in a great nation there. To the nation of Israel. Jacob's offspring, as they approached the promised land. Moses said uh, prophetically on behalf of God, Be strong and courageous, Israel. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, the enemies. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. To Gideon, one of the judges of Israel in place of a king, uh, the, Lord, the, the Lord appeared to Gideon as an angel while he was hiding from his occupying enemy, the Midianites. And the Lord said, uh, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. No triceratops nearby. To Elijah, the prophet of the Lord, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him and do not be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king, an emissary of an enemy king. To Israel, through the prophet Isaiah, uh, God said, Strengthen the feeble hands. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your Your God will come. He will come with vengeance 
With divine retribution, he will save you. Again, through the same prophet Isaiah, do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you and will save you and deliver you from his hands. I will show you compassion so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your land. And through the prophet Jeremiah, I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called and you said, do not fear. To Mary and Joseph, uh, the Lord the angel of the Lord came to, to them independently and said, Do not fear, Mary, I have called you. Do not fear, Joseph, to take Mary home as your wife. And then to the shepherds at Jesus' birth, they saw a mighty host of angels and angelic beings, and they were singing, Glory to God. And, uh, and, and they spoke and said, uh, Peace to you, don't be afraid. And Jesus said himself, uh, to uh, right after a, a leader had approached him and said, my daughter's dead, will you come and heal her? And, uh, and his ser- or my daughter's sick, will you come and heal her? And his servants came to the, to the man. I think his name is Jairus. And, uh, and they, the servants of the man said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Uh, your daughter's already dead. And Jesus looks at him and says, while he was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Do not bother the teacher anymore. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. Again, Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, this is the last one I'll give. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear, holy fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Do not fear, do not fear, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. Not, not too silent. Actually, I have this great software that my family gave me last year for Christmas, a Bible study software that lets me type in a, a search for a phrase, and I can find every instance of it in, in a dozen translations. Have you seen this thing? It is wicked cool for, for a geek. And uh, I, I'm an extrovert, so I'm not going to spend a, a ton of time with it. But uh, I went through and I looked for the phrase, do not fear. I, I separated it, did another one, do not be afraid. I did another one, um, not fear, not afraid. You know, I was trying to get, get a, a sampling here. Just scores, pages of, of instances in the NIV alone. And then I had um, different translations, have more and less, but just tons and tons of instances of do not fear, do not fear. This is a sampling. That was designed to just give you a little, a little taste, you know. It's like, uh, like at the Whole Foods, they give you that cheese that's 16 bucks a pound. Like, I want that, but I'm not ready for the whole pound. <laughs> so do not be afraid is a major theme from God. So we're talking here about unhealthy fear, fear of enemies, fear of death, fear of harm, fear of failure, fear, fear to obey God. And so all is rooted in this, this one fear, and I think it, the, the root is sin. I think the root cause of so much of it is sin. So let's read just quickly uh, Genesis 1. At, uh, Genesis 3, I'm so sorry. Uh, in the garden, Adam and Eve, we know the story, Adam and Eve ate of a fruit that God had said was off limits. And then as soon as they did so, the Bible says their eyes were opened and, uh, and they realized they were naked. They didn't have any clothes on. 
And so they sew, sewed together some cheap clothes out of fig leaves. And this is the interesting verse, verse 8 of Genesis chapter 3. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. I think that this is, this is right here at the beginning of the Bible for a very important reason. The Bible, you know, has an arc, has a story, just like, uh, just like your favorite Harry Potter movie or story. I've, I've not read the books. I've seen a movie. There's an arc to it. It's a story, right? And Genesis is the beginning of it. The word Genesis means it's a beginning. And Revelation is the great end. And the picture at the end of the Bible is the glorious future for the church and for all of creation in the throne of God, where heaven and earth, Jesus' prayer, is actually joined together once and for all. So it's a story. And in the story, I think things are really well placed. That's what we affirm when we say we affirm the Bible. And in this case... Uh, there's something significant here. The first time we hear the word fear mentioned, or the idea of being afraid, thank you, servant, is right here at the presence of sin. Sin comes in, fear comes next. Hello? Nice. Thank you. Sin comes in, fear comes next. Makes sense, doesn't it? So much, so much sin, and I'm not going to claim I'm not a psychologist, um, nor do I want to be promise. Uh, but I think there's something huge here that at the root of so much of our fear is, is sin. And so sin, I, I, I want us to get this. Sin is not primarily doing bad things. Anyone never thought that? I thought I grew up hearing the word sin and I thought sin is about doing bad things. So, so a little boy sins, a little girl sins when they, when they sneak candy out of the candy jar or they lie to their mom or dad. That, that's, that is a weak picture of sin. Sin is essentially estranging ourselves from God, estranging ourselves from other people, and estranging ourselves from the created order. You get it? Sin is primarily about turning our back on the things that we're designed to turn our face to. First of all, God. Second of all, our, our brothers and sisters, people, humans. Third of all, all of creation. God, God is ultimately, the story of the Bible shows that at the end, all these things are going to be made into one. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, says, So that Christ will be all and in all. The, the link between all these things. So sin is not about doing wrong things. It's not about being bad or naughty. A lot of times at Christmas time, we hear so much naughty talk. and drives me crazy. Maybe you can get a triceratops if you're naughty. <laughs> sin is about estranging, estranging ourselves from, from God and from others. And so that's why I think it makes sense that fear is, is related to sin. Fear, what, what do we fear the most? We fear being estranged from life. We fear death is, is the absence of life. Uh, relational strife is the, is the distance of other people from us. Um, uh, safety is a, is a function of life. You know, when, when God is present, life is present. And so I think there's an essential link there that, that I think is worth exploring. But we're just going to get pretty practical here with it. Do not fear. 
So God has, has a lot to say. He says, do not fear. But on what grounds does he say it? He gives an argument every time. So many of the passages I read didn't just say, don't fear because I told you so. He says, do not fear because a number of things. Do not fear because the Lord is with you, as was one of the things we read. Do not fear because you're valuable. Jesus said to, to those who were, who were worrying about, about what they wear, what they're going to eat. He said, don't fear. You're more valuable than sparrows. And not one of them is lacking any, any care or nurturing from God. Do not fear because the Lord has promised something. That, that was a lot of what was going on with, with Israel in the Old Testament and some of those passages I read. Do not fear because the Lord's promised that you're going to take the, the Holy Land. You're promised that you're going to have an inheritance and I'm going to fulfill it, says the Lord. So don't fear when you see these people that stand in your way. Don't fear when there's uh, apparent danger, but I've promised safety. Don't fear that, that you're going to be isolated when I've promised to give you company and I've promised that you're going to have a family. To Abraham, that was an interesting one. Abraham, the father of many nations, the one whom, to whom the church traces its lineage and all of Israel traces their lineage and even Islam traces their lineage to Abraham. God promised him, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And, uh, and late in his age, he was thinking, I don't have a child. I don't have an heir. My, my estate's going to pass to a servant of mine who doesn't even bear my name. And God says, do not be afraid Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And he gives him a son. So it, there's so much here that's, uh, that's it's an argument for avoiding fear. And the basis of it is God, God himself. God himself. Thank you, Mo. Thank you. That's you. $20. God himself is the basis for the argument not to fear. He said, I am all you need. There's a holy fear and I, we won't, I'm not going to get into it deeply today, but so often I, I found this contrast between the, there's no fear of the Lord in these people. Therefore, they're terrified. So interesting. So when we, the fear of the Lord is understanding that God is who he says he is, that he's provider, that he's loving, that he's kind, that he's good, that he's, he promises things and he fulfills them. And then, and then letting everything else that would be a fear fall away. Pretty cool, huh? So, why shouldn't we fear? For I am with you. Isaiah 41.10. I think this one, I think we may be able to get this one projected. Yes. So do not fear, for I am with you, says God. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's a promise to Israel. Now, Paul picks up, I think, on this theme. And this is, this is, the, this is the, the ultimate linchpin and the part that I'm so excited uh, to get to. Romans 8. Romans 8, 31. We're going to read a little bit of a lengthy passage, but quickly. This is, this is the I am with you that we celebrate at Advent. Okay? Let's read it together. You don't have to read it out loud. I'll read it, but follow along. Romans 8, beginning with verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also, not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, those sound like our fears? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, for we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, says Paul, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our unholy fears are based on a lack of faith in God. And God has righted that wrong for us. His extravagant love for us in Jesus Christ is the antidote to our fear. And his immeasurable... So, so what I, I, I want to propose in a very practical way... Uh, first, here's the premise, then we'll get practical. Our unholy fears are based on a lack of faith in God. His extravagant love for us in Jesus Christ and his immeasurable power to act on his love for the sake of those to whom it's directed. Us, we are the objects of God's love. By some incredible act of mercy and grace, God has said, Jeff, Steph. <laughs> he, said, he said your name, he said my name, and he said to, to all creation, I love you so much that I'm going to be with you, not just in some heady um, kind of ethereal Eastern sense. No, substantive. Jesus Christ in time and space has come to be with humanity. And I, I read an article briefly a few weeks back uh, about this, uh, this editor for Poetry Magazine. I guess he was former editor. Grew up in a Southern Baptist church, not, not too unlike this one. Um, grew up in, in a Baptist church, and he'd kind of walked away from his faith as he got older. Very sharp dude, um, an artist, a poet, um, considered a, a, an, an excellent poet, American guy. And, uh, and then in recent years, he's returned to the faith, and I thought it was very interesting what he said. When asked, why, why, why the return to the faith? And uh, he's back in uh, an evangelical context. Why, why do this? And he said, I'm, I'm not primarily a Christian because Christ died for me. I'm primarily a Christian because Christ suffered with us. That was really interesting. This solidarity piece, God is with us was what drew him back. And that's something we, we, uh, I think we give attention to and sometimes we, we kind of move straight to the good stuff, but God, God suffers with us in a way that, that demonstrates love for us, right? It's God's love that casts out fear. First John. But perfect love is this. Perfect love casts out all fear. We sing it in a, in a few of our songs. And what, what John is talking about there is that the love of God in Christ Jesus is stronger than the things that, that, that we're afraid of. And in Advent, I said, we celebrate the coming of the Lord Jesus. But how do we appropriate all this stuff in everyday experience? How do we get practical? Well, we're going to take a minute just to think about it. But the first thing we do is we have to identify unholy fears. We have to call them what they are. We gave a, little, a short little list of the things that we're afraid of. And, uh, and I would encourage you to even journal a little bit. We're, we're going to have a response time in just a minute. Um, 
But one of the things that, uh, that you do is you, you have to identify it. You have to call it what it is and then expose it. And then we have to move from there to exposing fear to actually placing our faith in the Lord. Placing our faith in God, His great character, His love that's demonstrated in Jesus. Now, how's it done? Well, first of all, it's done by His Spirit. It's done by the Spirit of the Lord. We're going to read one more scripture here. Ephesians 5.18. Paul, again, writing to the Ephesian church. Verse 18, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, why would I say this? Kind of an awkward one to bring in right now. Do not be, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, I, I learned recently that, that wine physically, like chemically, is, is a, um, it's a depressant. Actually, al- alcohol depresses brain activity. It actually in- inhibits, it reduces fears, right? Is this right? Yeah. So, so you have, you know, we see movies all the time where, where the hero, um, you know, takes a shot of whiskey and then goes and does something courageous. The idea is that fear is going to be addressed by, by this alcohol. And then I'm going to go step out and do something awesome. Well, Paul says, that's not the real thing. Why, why do that when you've got something way better? The Spirit of God so applies the truth of God to our minds and our experience that we have no fear and we can go straight into the, the battlefield. We can go straight into the place that, that's calling, calling our bluff and saying, you're too, you're too chicken. You're not going to do this. And instead of being the cowboy with the shot of whiskey, we have all the power of heaven backing us. Pretty cool, huh? I think it's awesome. So what we do here, it's time, it's time for us to, to respond. I'm going to invite the band up, and, uh, and I'm going to invite John Clark to come and stand with me. And let's stand. We're going to take just a moment here to invite God's Spirit to quicken us, to invite God's Spirit to apply the truth of the gospel that God so loved the world that He gave His Son to be with us. And He is with us now by His Spirit, and He does not want us to live in fear. So let me pray. God, we bless you. We thank you so much that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. And as the king, you rule and you reign. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the Lord of heaven and earth. There's no place that, that is outside of your dominion. There's no, there's no area over which you do not rule. God, would you identify in us and help us to notice where we are placing faith in something that's a sham, where we are believing, as Lori talked last week, we're believing a lie. And instead, would you give us grace by your Spirit to choose to believe what is true, that you are good, that you are alive, that you are powerful and able, and you will deliver. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can. God, would you appropriate this by your Spirit Lead us now as we respond in Jesus' name.